Hey everybody and welcome to the 25th episode of DCI. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk with Enrique Dreyer, who is one of the co-founders of Triple B Titles, which is a studio that uh, earlier this year released a game called Ring Runners uh, Flight of the Sages. Uh, it's a kind of top-down space sim RPG, incredibly ambitious game. Uh, and he and his brother and his wife uh, actually put everything together. Uh, it's pretty neat. We had a great conversation talking about what it was like building the game over a relatively long development cycle um, and talking about Kickstarter, talking about their next project, uh, all kinds of great things. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to find out more about DarkStation, you can do that at DarkStation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are DarkStation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, we are the DarkCast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And if you want to shoot us an email, you can do that at podcast at DarkStation.com. Finally, if you want to find out anything else about Ring Runners or Triple B titles, then check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening. Now on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, Enrique. Uh, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good deal. Where uh, Where are you located before we kind of... I live in Dallas, Texas currently and uh, grew up in Texas my, my whole life. I was born in Mexico. Okay. All right. Good deal. So it's what? Uh, six, seven o'clock where you're at? 7.30. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. We, we like to do these late because both... Brian and I have day jobs, so we have to do these when we're right. home. Uh, it's, it's a terrible tragedy of, of doing f- free um, video game journalism. Not freelance, yeah. just free. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you could – yeah, well, you know, it's, it's kind of what happens. You go to work and get paid to do what you don't want to do so that you can do for free what you want to do. Yeah. Someday you'll get paid doing what you want to do too. Yes, that's the goal. That's the that's the dream. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But so I guess if we could just start off this uh, this shindig by uh, you telling us a little bit about who you are, um, what you do, kind of on a a day to day basis with Ring Runner. uh, uh, Was it Flight of the Sages? I actually don't have the subtitle written down. Just just the the main title. Yep. Okay, uh, if you could kind of tell us about what you what you did on that game, what your job was, uh, or role more so, uh-huh. uh, just kind of start there, and we'll we'll move on from there. All right. Well, I guess uh, you can qualify me as the artist um, behind Ring Runner. I did pretty much everything involved uh, in the game except the programming. My my brother is the main programmer. Uh, it didn't really start that way, but that's just kind of the way things sort of naturally developed. Um, when we started off, we were just going to divide the work up however we, we could. I started doing a little programming. He started doing a little art. And eventually, just kind of, we just kind of grew into our roles, I guess. And uh, so, so I just uh, focused mostly on, on 3D artwork uh, at the beginning. Then I moved on to the sound work, which includes you know, all the soundtrack, sound effects, all that good stuff. And uh, 
I was the writer as well. Um, I had already written some of the novel that the, the game is based on. So uh, it seemed pretty logical to sort of transition to the role of the writer. Um, so that might sound like I do the lion's share of the work, but that's not true. My brother does, I would say, like uh, at least a 70-30 ratio of the work that goes into Ring Runner, um, which leaves me uh, able to talk to you and, and sort of try to promote our game. <laughs> is he is he in the background while you just you know silently whip him while we're on the air? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's in the other room. Normally, I'll just kind of yell at him. Uh, that's our method of communication: is to just yell across the hallway. Sure. I mean, like that's... brothers, absolutely. I, I completely get with that. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, where did you go to to school? Uh, from uh, kind of reading some articles about what you do, uh, you started this while you were actually in school, um, and it was kind of a, a long process getting the uh, the game built. Uh, but where, where did you actually go, uh, and what did you study while you were there? Yeah, definitely. I started off um, at UT Austin, and I got a degree in uh, psychology, uh, you know, minor in classics. And so I started employment at uh, Best Buy and uh, Applebee's and other fine dining establishments for a while, and that wasn't really what I wanted to do with my degree, so I decided to go back to school, and I went um, to try to get a master's in something called ATEC, which is short for Arts and Technology, and I went to uh, UT Dallas, which is the University of Texas here in Dallas. Uh, that's where we started working on Ring Runner, and it, it originally started off as this little competition, you know, a little like, game development competition here in, uh, in Dallas, a local, just, just I think it was only our university that could participate. So, uh, you know, uh, given, given that we had just worked on it for a couple months, just a couple guys working on it, and um, we actually, you know, managed to at least place, it was, it was good encouragement, and it sort of got us going on our, on our lifelong ambition of going from gamers to game developers. Just out of curiosity, what won? Um, it, uh, you know, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a game for the, I, uh, w this was actually novel for the time, by the way. So it might sound kind of right now, but it was actually pretty cool back then. It was a game for the iPhone that was just kind of one of these like, um, very accessible sort of games. It, it was, uh, sort of a strategy, um, real time sort of thing where you're just kind of selecting which guys go out kind of like castle crashers. Um, it, it was something something along those lines. Cool. <clears throat> but it was it was fun to compete. You know, it was uh, it was our first foray into uh, game development. Before that, we'd only made a couple little flash games for classes. So this was first thing, and 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 really the state it was in was terrible. It was just two little ships flying around uh, that could shoot at each other, and really the only thing that we had that was. I guess novel in any way was that uh, you could control one of the ships with two controllers, so you could have a gunner and, and a pilot. That was that was it. Oh, okay. No story, well, how, nothing like that. Just so, how did you get from from basically game jam to a, a game based off of a novel you wrote? Right. Well, I mean, ba basically, it was just sort of this thing: like, what are we going to do to try to make our first game? And the logical thing was to just kind of go with the 
sort of tutorial, the generic tutorial that you'll see almost, almost on any game development, uh, you know, site, and that is a space shooter. And so we started off with that and it just kind of, you know, got out of control. We kept adding to it and adding to it uh, until, you know, became Ring Runner, I guess. And that, that was over a span of six years. Okay, so um, the uh, the whole two-person controlling ship, that's actually still in the game, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's, that's what I thought. I, I, didn't, uh, I was able to play it over the last couple of days. Um, I didn't get that far, and I don't have anyone else to, to play that with. But I, I thought I remember seeing that, that was, uh, there was a co-op mode where you could, uh, where you could do that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yep. <clears throat> so when did you actually write the, uh, the novel? Um, and kind of where, where did the uh, fiction behind the world come from? Did the the novel come out of just great ideas that you had for the game, or was it kind of a a tool you used to sort of flesh out the fiction, or what kind of how how does all that work? Uh, yeah, it was just completely you know haphazard. It was just sort of I was writing a sci-fi novel just you know for fun, and uh, I'd written it over basically two two years or so I think it had been and as soon as we got further in development in Ring Runner we, were, we realized hey okay it'd be cool for a multiplayer game but we didn't think that and we still haven't really been able to get a very dedicated or, or I should say like reliable multiplayer scene you know it's pretty hard to establish so he said uh, we should you know we should make some kind of a single player experience to go along with it and we wanted to Late, kind of more of a Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger type, um, you know, simple text-based RPG. Because uh, this really is some of my favorite games of all time. I mean, this this game itself is based on Silent Death Online, which is a multiplayer-only space shooter but um, for 90s. But really, these are some of my favorite games of all time, and I want to kind of bring some kind of quirky and, and fun storytelling to uh, the space genre. And so it seemed like a pretty logical choice to sort of mix the two since I'd already put two years of work into just writing this thing that I was just writing completely for fun. I would have never expected to have been able to sell a book on its own, but as part of the game, it's actually sold uh, you know, a few copies. So it's, it's been pretty cool. Awesome. Um, now, I, in uh, kind of looking at some stuff on the game, I saw... Uh, Silent Death Online mentioned several times, um, and something about you and your brother like racking up a thousand dollars worth of credit card debt in a month or something like that. Right, right. Um, it was one of those pay by the hour games. So uh, we just kind of kept playing, and uh, eventually the bill came. So. <laughs> uh, but for uh, for any of our listeners that don't know, and myself included, can you tell us a little bit about what um, SDO? Uh, was because I, I have no idea. I've never played the game. I don't know too much yeah, about it. Yeah, it was. It was a game by Mythic Entertainment, um, and it, it was released on AOL Games. Just to give you an idea of the era. Uh, then it got picked up by EA, I think, and they had some distribution that way. But um, it, it was just a little ship that gets upgraded, and you fly around shooting at each other, destroying bases, and it was kind of team uh, versus team battles. Uh, I mean, it was really old school. You you couldn't even shoot the ship to do this thing we called lag shooting. 
and it was basically the the way you separated a noob from someone who kind of knew what they were doing was who was lag shooting and lag shooting meant to just shoot in front of the ship like about a, a second uh, in front of where you you think the ship is going to be mm-hmm. and that's the only way you could hit them so it, it was a pretty crude game uh, but it was awesome for the time so we we really loved it that credit card build shows yeah <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask, where did the talking AI Im- brain implant come from? Was that a was that a book discovery, or was that just we need somebody to kind of talk to here? Uh, actually, the inspiration for that came from I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but like uh, the second um, Vampire Hunter D. Have you guys are you familiar with that anime? Yeah. By any chance? Uh, are you talking about like the like the, the hand? The little hand that he has that talks to him. And kind <laughs> okay, of all right. <laughs> um, I, I, it was basically the original inspiration for that, but we just thought we'd go with some some form of a, a character that's always with you that kind of provides a little bit of stability um, and, and, of course, acts as a guide. So it seemed like a very logical thing to do is to, to, to sort of put a computer in your head that, that talks to you. And I won't you know give away any spoilers, but he has a much bigger role to play in the story. Mm-hmm. He's not just a, a, you know, robust tutorial in your head. Now, you, you don't, I, I mean, I, I may be spoiling this, guessing this, um, but you don't find out that uh, the chip in your brain is created from the ashes of your dead wife that the government placed in your brain. <laughs> Do you? This is the, uh, the postscript to Bionic Command. <laughs> Please tell me no. Uh, it, it is not exactly that. I'll okay. That. Okay. <laughs> Um, that, that's good to know. That's, that's all I need. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how are the, the novel and the, the game actually, uh, intertwined? Are they, they connected in all other than the fact that they exist in the same universe? Um, uh, is one yeah, sequel to the other? Uh, they're not really, I mean, there is a, a chronological order and the book comes 300 years after, but there are okay. a few characters that will kind of bleed over, but, uh, you do Those not. Those are some old characters. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> this is like a, you know the universal age where people live basically until they get tired of life. So there's a lot of old people, you know, and there's plenty of space. So I guess it's not as much of a problem. Sure. But uh, it, yeah, it, it's it, it's not something that you need to play the game to uh, to appreciate, and you don't need to read the book to understand the game either. We try to make them uh, independent. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So. Uh, what did you guys actually use to, to make the game? Because, you know, five, six years ago, that is before the, uh, uprising of, of Unity and Game Maker and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how did, how did you guys actually go about making the game? Well, it's made in, um, XNA. Uh, so it's just oh. kind of made, not really from scratch, but because, I mean, XNA does give you a framework, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much made from, from as close to scratch as we could. Uh, and and back in the day, XNA seemed like a really you know great thing, and we wanted to put it on Xbox. Mm-hmm. But um, as you guys definitely should know, is uh, you know uh, the XNA community kind of died out, and Microsoft doesn't really support XNA anymore. Like uh, and programming in Sanskrit. We put it, we can't, <laughs> we can't even put it on Xbox One to, to, to give you an idea. So it's it kind of sucks, but uh, we we still managed to transition to PC fairly well, I hope, and. Uh, um, uh, maybe someday, if it if it picks up, we'll be able to port it to Xbox One. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> You're like, ah, we showed you guys. See, we did it. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, earlier this year, or not this year, uh, last year, you guys actually launched a uh, very successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, so I was just wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about what it was like um, kind of going through that. Uh, a lot of the time we're talking to people in the middle of their Kickstarter um, and not, you know, after a successful Kickstarter. So if you could kind of talk about what it was like, um, you know, doing the, the whole Kickstarter thing and, and what it also allowed you to do um, and kind of how it changed uh, what you were able to do with the game and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, well, it's it was pretty crazy. I mean, we had no idea what to expect. We tried to put together kind of a fun video um and uh we, we were only asking for twelve thousand because really all we wanted to do was sort of put the polish on it um that it needed and both my brother and i were graduated at that point and rather than having to get jobs to continue we wanted to just finish this as soon as we could because it had been five years mm-hmm. so um we we were really thanks to our family and friends able to get well beyond uh, that that goal. I, I don't know if I'd call it very successful. It was it was definitely successful on on our by our standards on our level. Well, you uh, got like double what you asked for. I, exactly. I think that's pretty yeah. successful. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely um, great, and and uh, we were able to you know pretty much put all the polish that we have uh, into the game thanks to that, and pretty much survive. Because uh, other than that, we just had bills to pay and no no kind of income, so it was very nice uh, to to be able to put out a quality product and really make a game that I I think we can be proud of, rather than just sort of releasing what we had and sort of <laughs> starting to work on the next one, I guess. Very cool. Was, was it difficult say, kind of getting out all the uh, like the backer tiers and that kind of stuff, or were you guys were you guys uh, prepared for that? It, it, we tried to make everything as um, digital as possible. Like I know a lot of had problems because they provide a lot of physical rewards, and and um, the, those can be very you know costly actually. So we we tried to keep everything digital, and it wasn't much of a problem. I mean, I still have people sending me emails daily for you know requesting like Steam keys and things like that, but it's not it's no problem. You know, it takes up maybe um, five minutes of my day or so. Even now, you know, because you, you you have these people that are like, hey, I, I think I, I pledged to this thing. I just saw it on Steam. Can I get a key? And it's like, yeah, well, we've been sending you emails trying to get you your keys. But uh, <laughs> I know I've backed a couple of projects that I don't read every email I get. So it's it's uh, it's tough on both yeah, ends. And, and, and some of those projects seem to just give you an onslaught of of emails that it's like, OK, most of these aren't important. I'm just going to not read them. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I get I get like a daily uh, email from Star Trek Renegades that I backed and I get uh, they're cool pictures. I like seeing them, but I get like a picture every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're going to you're going to have they're going to tell you at the end that you should have saved all those pictures because that was the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we're actually going to be doing a new uh, Kickstarter coming up. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to say around like March or so, maybe late February of next year. Um, for a new game entirely, and uh, you know we'll we'll keep you guys in the loop about that. But um, it should be a really uh, a much more broad appeal game. I'll say that. Okay, very cool. Very cool. 
So talking about uh, Ring Runner specifically, um, just reading kind of the the stuff that's on Steam about it since it's now released there. So you guys are charging nine ninety nine for it, and uh, and the, the the words billions of uh, let me see if I can find it right here. Yielding billions of challenges shows up. Um, uh-huh. What were you guys thinking for nine ninety nine and billions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when the game launched, it was fourteen ninety nine, and uh, we we were not really satisfied with the amount of people that were actually uh, getting it, and we really care more about having people try the game than to try to become rich off our first uh, project. You know, it's very unlikely uh, to just sort of win the lotto and become rich off your first game. So. Really, what we want to do with this game is to show people the kind of sort of uh, passion that we have for making games. You know, we we really wanted to put as much as we could and try to get it out to as many people. And in bundles, and it goes on sale all the time. So it's kind of a, a cheap date. But um, I, I think that... <laughs> so you, you got to get the, them in the door. Exactly. The, the billions of, of uh, challenges and billions of builds and all this, you know, it's it's something that you say mathematically, I would say more... Um, you know, reasonably, it's like thousands uh, because, uh, you know, you can combine a lot of different skills that will make small, very, like small uh, variations in your actual gameplay. But one of the things we try to do is uh, we really try to make sure that if you put uh, this kind of skill, you know, this sort of a weapon into your ship rather than this kind of weapon, it wasn't sort of just throwing a fireball or an ice bolt, or trying to give you the difference between using a, a rocket and a hammer. You know, it's it's they're very different um, skills. So you can actually really radically change the way that you approach the game and play the game just by popping out a couple, you know, key components and uh, being being more reasonable, like uh, less um, marketing based. You know, I would say it's thousands of really legitimately different um, options for gameplay. Though, of course, there are billions of, of configurations that will slightly change the way you play. Hmm. So so millions, really. That's uh, Yeah, I'd say, let's say thousands. Go half. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, I got a chance to play, like, uh, I played probably about half an hour, 45 minutes of it. Um, what made you guys decide to go more, I mean, was it, was it the pure kind of... Um, like that bleed back into uh, like more kind of an asteroids play where you're where the ship flies forward, you know, like with your um, with your thrust. But when you turn, it doesn't like turn automatically. It's not like a dual stick shooter where you've got complete control and you're flipping it around like it's Geometry Wars. It's uh-huh. it's it's very intentional in its movement. Yes. Uh, well, there's two reasons for that. One is uh, I think we wanted to, you know, uh, make sure that we built up um well, it's kind of hard to describe. Basically, if you don't have this sort of a movement, if you can drastically change your direction at any point, a lot of the skill possibilities sort of go away because now a barrel roll is going to be maybe a boost in speed, but there's no difference between a boost in speed and a barrel roll, for instance. Mm-hmm. In this case, we, we this sort of movement gives you a lot of options for the way that other things push you. Uh, the way that you can execute like a barrel roll versus a teleport versus a directional thruster. Um, they all have very different effects. Um, jousting, grappling, all these all these movement-based things. We got caster drives that kind of create an explosion that then you can ride. And so all of these variances come from the fact that you can't just perfectly control your ship. But the more important, uh, I guess, factor, the more um, you know, core uh, reason 
is that we couldn't get uh, netcode to be that precise. Uh, ba basically, if you could uh, alter your direction that quickly, you'd get these sort of bouncing around effect, and it'd be very hard to, to fight uh, with, with even AI ships controlled by other people. So we wanted to make the movement smoother and, and more gliding so that the predictions that you put in can, can sort of mask the, uh, the limitations of netcode. So in the end, we're we're back to lag aiming. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we've come we've come full circle with Ring Runner. We, we, we've tried we've tried we've tried our best to let you actually shoot at the ship, and and uh, <laughs> as far as I know, you can hit the ship if you hit the ship. <laughs> can you talk about the the modding process a bit a little bit? Because that seems really really key to what this is all based on. I mean, not only is there like kind of the space combat and the and the flying here, but the fact that you you just threw out like five or six different variations of just thrust, um, right. it, it sounds like you really have your pick of the litter as far as as what you want to try. Is it easy to to go between modifications to find what works for you, or do you need kind of different things for different situations? Well, I mean that that was a, uh, I think one of the things that uh, we ran into. The presented the biggest challenge was how to, if you're introducing all this different gameplay that's not necessarily going to be identical or even similar to what people are used to, or maybe they're just not expecting it, how do you present it to people so that they can actually make a decision? Because if you don't know what you have or what you can do, um, it becomes very difficult to say, oh yeah, I want to play as a caster versus a grappler, you know. And so um, we put in this tutorial uh, portion, uh, which you can skip, which is about uh, takes two to three hours to, to, to play through, introduces you to all the five archetypes. But basically the way it ends up working is um, you then are able to choose an archetype which sort of fits more of the style you want. Do you want a lot of rockets and turrets? Do you want more like the classic shmup, doing barrel rolls, lasers and stuff, grapplers, casters, or even like stealthy uh, ships like rogues? Um, so once you make that decision, you begin as sort of a classic mode of that. And you've got some choices, but of course we're narrowing it down because it's by archetype. And then as you progress, you start getting temp basically all the ships act as, act as templates. And you start getting ships that are hybrids between, uh, let's say, a um, grappler and a superiority fighter. So now you get um, and you, you start branching out that way. Um, in order to make this a little bit easier for players, and this is something that we were uh, only able to add after release, actually, was just uh, 30 pre-builds that are just, you know, 30 different ships that are equipped by us by hand and uh, just sort of highlight some of the different possibilities. And then you can just go ahead and either buy that whole ship just as is, or you can buy parts off of that ship and customize your own ship. And if you buy the whole thing, you can then download the template and start messing with it in any way you want. So it was hard to introduce players to all of the possibilities because there are so many possibilities. Um, but you know, we, that's why we started with a very strong sort of story-driven approach. Uh, you'll see that if you, if you play the story-driven campaign, it'll play more like something like uh, a Final Fantasy or something like that rather than than just uh, this sort of open space, do anything you want, uh, you know, be anything you want right away. Because we felt that that would be kind of dropping players on their head a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and you've got a brain mod in there, so you don't want to drop people on their heads. Exactly, it's expensive. We yeah, don't want that, to that, that's He starts stuttering. <laughs> suddenly, you're you know you're just firing off into a sun, and that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that does happen, by the way. Oh God. <laughs> it turns out that it's actually the captain from uh, from uh, Metal Gear Solid, right? And eventually, he's just going <laughs> to tell us to turn off the machine as some sort of joke. Just raise our fists and say, "Damn you, Kojima!" Right. <laughs> uh, so, so how big is the the world of uh, Ring Runner? Does it exist in our galaxy universe, or is it? Uh, well, it's supposed to be deep future, I guess, and it's just okay. uh, more of an alternate universe, but similar to ours. I mean, there are humans. Like, there's sort of the divert all these humans came different races um, that you would almost perceive as aliens at the time but they're actually their origin is human um, from earth and uh, and then you of course have your traditional aliens from other planets but it's a universal age um, very deep future so it, you know, because of the way that the rings work which is kind of anchoring space and the space moves around you um, you're able to go around these rings, which are like these super highways, and uh, to get from one ring to the other, it's kind of like getting on a on a little record and then just like dropping a marble on a record. It spins and spins and then it flies off in a direction. It's similar to that, um, and of course, you know, science fantasy more than science fiction, but um, it's it's a very, it's a very large universe um, to say the least. It, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure that all science fiction is more science fantasy than anything yeah. else. So, I mean, I, yeah, that's that's just kind of how it goes, I think. <laughs> pretty much. Um, so, uh, there, there's what like 20 hour the the campaign. Um, is is pretty lengthy, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it varies. It depends on how much of it you do. You can get through it in 20 hours. I mean, I've gotten through it in in like. I think the record is like eight hours, but well, you made um, it. That's what I mean. That's cheating. Right. <laughs> right. And I know I know which missions you have you actually have to beat in order to beat the game. But if you play all of it, um, most people take around thirty hours or so, and so that's why we've been moving from twenty to thirty hours because that's more of the average uh, play time. So um, you said there's you know, missions that you have to play to beat it. Uh, are there side quests then? Um, how, how does that kind of work out as far as main quests, side quests, all that kind of stuff? Well, um, there's, a, there's a point in the game after you get through the linear part that becomes non-linear, um, kind of inspired by uh, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> and, uh, now you're talking just, about yeah, language. So yeah. you right. have to find the loot, the I'm, warrants, uh, <laughs> and science fiction, right? Uh, I'm excited, exactly. like, in, infinitely now. Like, okay. Uh, so is the chief there <laughs> no you're you're just trying to look for um someone in the universe and you find different clues and then you finally determine uh where they're going to be next and you go and you try to catch up to them do you get to make a, a like a little description of the person based on questions that you ask <laughs> no, no unfortunately it's not it's not that <laughs> fun carmen sandy <laughs> we, we will not need a space almanac to determine which flag Slash planet they've uh, uh, they've got to right. <laughs> no, you will not. 
Okay, fantastic. Good. I I was not prepared for that. Yeah, I, I was I was terrible at that part of the game. I would always have to stop playing and then. Oh, yeah. I was excellent at the research part of that. I just you know, get getting a space almanac in this day and age is just sure. It's hell. Sure, especially for a, a universe that exists in the far future. Um, and does exist. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't even know if they would they even have books at that point. I mean, it might just be uh, a fruitless yeah, endeavor. But no, game yeah, but nobody reads them. It's more novelty. Okay. So, so they ha- they the have novelty. Books. <laughs> it's an excellent pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, what kind of multiplayer does Ring Runner have to to offer? I know it's got the the co op. Uh, what what kind of other stuff is is in there? Uh, well, there's local and then there's online. So the local is done with those sort of duo ships, the one where one person is pilot and the other person is gunning. And you can split your skills any way you like. And uh, then there's online. So online co-op works just like you'd think it, it would. You just basically get on, choose a scenario. Somebody joins you and replaces one of your AI companions. Uh, otherwise, you're flying with, with basically with bots against bots. And there's also verses for some of the modes, like Deathmatch, the um, you know, Spire Battles, and the Space Defense League, which is kind of a MOBA-like uh, mode. And uh, other than that, you, know, you can play the second half of the campaign, local co-op, but you can't play that one online, unfortunately. Uh, it has a lot of stuff that would take us a, a very long time, unfortunately, to have to co- recode uh, to get that to work uh, co-op, even though we wanted to. <clears throat> Uh, you mentioned, Sorry, but with local co-op, you still get kind of the whole pilot bombardier situation, though, right? Yes. Uh, you mentioned the the MOBA mode. How how does that kind of work for uh, somebody well, like myself that doesn't play any MOBAs? Uh, okay, well, it's it's um, basically just a base versus a base, and um, before you get to the base, you've got a bunch of defense towers that you have to clear basically three in each of the sort of rows and you've got bosses as well that you can face um ours is different than something like a league of legends or something uh, i mean it's it's i call it mobile like it's it's just similar in the sort of layout but um our i guess what you would consider creeps the drones that are on your team don't just mindlessly suicide against the nearest tower they kind of <laughs> have like, themselves constantly <laughs> right they don't just walk in a line and attack the the nearest tower which is you know it's it's a choice in game design it's not necessarily better or worse because you know, that's a game mechanic that people use and exploit but for us we give you a little bit of control like we we let you say follow me you know defend attack all this sort of stuff and they make their decisions as to what target to attack so they'll move from one lane to the next to to attack a tower that's being swarmed or not uh, or to defend and um we also have uh, cruisers and and uh, you know waves of power ups and all all kinds of neat stuff in there but primarily it's just a four on four base battle with uh defensive towers thrown in between okay very cool mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of also another novelty for us, um, getting to talk to people that have had a game out for a little while, not, you know, much less, um, Kickstarter that's been successful, but, you know, a lot of times it's before the games come out or right when the games come out. Uh, and, you know, you've obviously had time to kind of reflect on, um, 
making the game, and you've been able to add some stuff like the uh, the MOBA like mode and the uh, the different class kind of packs. Uh, is there anything when you kind of look back at the game uh, and you know all the the stuff that you put in there that I don't know you wish you had cut that I don't, I don't know just fat that you wanted to to trim or anything like that, uh, or maybe a process a, a kind of a I don't know a, a point in the game's development that you wish you could have been able to skip. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of parts I would have loved to have been able to skip, but uh, I guess if I could go back and one of the things that I would change is um, even though I th- I think that it's, you know, in my opinion, uh, something that I would like to, to sort of be exposed to all of the archetypes before I make my decision, I think it'd be better um, to, to go back and just to sort of design the single player to let you choose your archetype up front with just sort of a description or maybe a test mission or something like that and let you just sort of um, go straight into that archetype the whole way through uh, making the the campaign even um, shorter, um, that way you could get to customization a lot quicker. Because that's basically been the the, the biggest uh, complaint that any reviewers have had is that it takes two to three hours to get to the point before you can start customizing your ship. And that might be okay, I guess, in 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 something like a AAA title that you expect to play for a long time and and that you're you're sitting down for for like a weekend to play. But most people, when they're you know thinking of indie games, they think of something that they can play in two hours or, or, or you know, maybe just sit down for, for a few minutes to play it. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard them referred to as appetizer games before. And, uh, and so it, it kind of disappoints some people who come at it that way, who think, oh, I'm just going to come in and make some cool ship real quick and, you know, smash into the first base I find and see how it goes, and then that's it. It's, a, it's kind of a more lengthy process because of the decisions that we made. And ultimately, I think it may have been better to just go um, straight into customization uh, quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I would have changed, and this is something that's kind of, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I couldn't change it, but I, I'd like to have changed it, is we didn't really have any money or resources whatsoever when we were working on it. So we didn't even have the capacity to get uh, play testers. Uh, the only play testers we have are family and friends. And really, none, none of them were fans of space shooters. So a lot of what we ended up doing was kind of catering to, to someone who's coming from outside of the genre, getting their feet wet and sort of playing the game um, sort of at, at family gunpoint, you know, where, where you have to play it because you're You like it, here. right, Mom? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So, so um, it was not really good, uh, or, or it was good feedback, but it wasn't the right kind of feedback. So um, I, I would have liked to have gotten some playtesters who were, you know, fans of the genre and things up even more. But we've we've taken some steps to speed things up now, and you can skip the entire tutorial campaign if you if you so desire. So I mean, I think it I think it works, but that is, I think, the biggest change I would make. Did that did that lack of kind of outside feedback or, or outside of the loop did that did that ever ever kind of throw you guys at one point? Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't know uh, you know what to expect. Uh, the 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 people like some of the people that we had playing it who can play other games, they they kind of couldn't play this game, um, and it was mainly because of the uh, control scheme. And we we've tried uh, every kind of control scheme we could. And uh, until finally they, they were able to play it and, and it was more or less just because of practice. But then we have people that come in that have played something like Subspace 
line, and they played it, you know, really well right off the bat. So it's it's really tricky to try to you don't know if you should cater more to the tutorial end of things and try to ease people into this new control scheme because not a whole lot of people play this kind of game, or if you should just say forget it, we're just going to go for the hardcore fans of this genre and make it you know as as uh, quick as possible. And that was probably the biggest um, obstacle that we encountered was just trying to balance those things, which are. I mean, it's impossible to please everyone. Yeah, walking that walking sure. that middle ground is never easy. Right. So, um, my brain is still kind of going back to the the description of you know indie games as like appetizers, and that that's just that's terrible. That makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I definitely agree with you, but um, you know, it's it's just it's not everyone's opinion, and we've had a lot of really great people a lot of great feedback and all that, but it's still the way that some people approach it. And it's also real, you know, it's unrealistic to ask these reviewers who are playing, you know, I don't know, like 10 games a day or something. Hey, you sit down and play this for 40 hours, please. So you can get a full idea of what the game is. (laughs) They just don't have the time, you know? So it's um, definitely our next game is something that we, we don't want to, we don't want to move away from our ideals. I mean, we still want to try to create a game that has, they're going to provide, you know, hundreds of hours of potential entertainment for just a few bucks, but uh, something that within 10, 15, 20 minutes, you get a full idea of what the scope of the game is. Sure. In Ring Runner, you're ba- basically just going to be done with a few missions. You haven't seen most of the game yet by that time. So mm-hmm. that really hurts on reviews and, and sort of getting people excited about the game. That makes sense. Um, now... Kind of uh, going back to a comment you made about the you know the testers and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, you know you've got plans for your your <clears throat> next game, uh, and that'll be coming up uh, relatively early in 2014. Um, but just kind of looking at that, is there anything in particular from? Uh, and this is actually two questions. Uh, but uh, is there anything in particular that you've kind of learned from this process? Uh, that you want to take with you into the next game. I mean, there's obviously going to be millions of little things that you've learned in making your first game, um, and you're going to take with you into the the second game. But is there anything, any kind of big, uh, I guess, picture ideas, big things that uh, will, I guess, drastically change how you go about making the next game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the the primary thing is we want to make the game, like I was alluding to, just a little bit more immediate. You know, something that that a a reviewer or even someone that's just browsing through a website and you got being bombarded by like 20 different games uh, and you see Ring Runner and you start seeing, okay, space shooter, RPG, lots of stuff and and you're kind of overwhelmed by all that information. Something that, you know, within uh, a couple of sentences, you understand the full scope of the game and where it's going and why you could be excited about it or, you know, not. Um, it, it's something that we want to be um, immediate. So uh, that, that was our primary point to take away. And the second thing is, uh, you know, to take an approach, uh, a more realistic approach with sort of the commercial end of things. You know, we can... Uh, validate the, uh, the 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 sort of time we took with this game because it, we were learning how to do stuff. But you know we want to make games that we can finish realistically this time uh, <laughs> in under two years, and that might actually turn enough of a profit 
to survive. So, you know, if this game, for instance, doesn't make enough money for us to survive, it's going to be time to look for a job because <laughs> uh, Ring Runner has made enough uh, at this point to, to get us to the Kickstarter and the Kickstarter along with Ring Runner should hopefully uh, be enough to squeak by on, on ramen and, and Whataburgers and whatnot. But uh, it, it's, it's not enough to make a living. It's not enough to buy a house or a new car or anything like that. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't have any idea what the, the commerce was like, uh, the, the commercial end of things. So we want to make a game that uh, has a little bit more appeal. Sorry to completely sidetrack you, but holy crap, I've not had a Whataburger in years. <laughs> we have a Whataburger yeah, well, down the street, be jealous. Ah, I am. My, my dad uh, was, when uh, uh, earlier, like 2003, four, uh, he was helping transition his company to uh, an office in Texas. And so we actually went and visited him a couple times while he was over there. And, like, every time we were there, all we ate were Whataburgers. And it was, like, the best fast food burger ever. And now I'm I'm sad that I don't have those around here. Yeah, we it... even had a Whataburger in our Kickstarter video. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so uh, just uh, kind of a quick question about uh, – this is the, the second question. Um, the, uh, you know, talking about kind of – uh, you know, getting testers to work with it. And I think previously, um, or I don't know, I guess you still have to do this a fair amount, but, you know, a lot of studios hire testers to, to come on board and play their game. And now Steam's early access program has uh, gained a lot of traction. It's become pretty popular. Is that an avenue that you see yourself pursuing as far as, you know, getting... Uh, more testers and more people that are more likely to already be familiar with the type of game that you're making uh, for your next project? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a necessary evil, I think, not not just for the testers, but, um, you know, we had to start, uh, we, we had to launch a Kickstarter to finish um, our project. And, and of course, uh, early access sort of beta is a, is a good way to create a, a bit of revenue to, to keep going. Um, this time our Kickstarter is going to be very different because it's more like we're going to bring you this game in a more conceptual stage rather than an almost finished stage. So I really don't know what to expect, but um, I, I would definitely say that it's something that we're going to we're going to be looking at and using if uh, necessary. I I'm not really a perfectionist per se, but I, I I'm the sort of person that would rather wait and bring the game to public when it's more ready uh, than not. But uh, as necessity dictates, I guess we will be um, using uh, some kind of beta access. I don't know if it'll be Steam Early Access or not, but it's very likely. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, Brian, I am done with my questions. I think it's time for the end game, unless you have yeah, something you want to do before that. Uh, no, no, I think we're good. All right. So we're going to start the end game. Like I said, it's a, it's a little bit of a, uh, an end uh, kind of James Lipton questionnaire-esque. Uh, just more games focused. Okay. Uh, so if you're ready, uh, we'll begin. Okay, I'm ready. I'm not sure what to expect, but that's uh, that's I'm that's sure the key fun. to this. Otherwise, it doesn't okay. work. If if <laughs> we were to have any of these questions beforehand, it would fall apart immediately. <laughs> yep. Because uh, half the fun is you going, oh, oh god, yeah, man. oh no, I can't answer that. Okay. So first question: What? Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Favorite video game protagonist. Antihero, <laughs> good guy. 
Um, it would probably be um, Samus pre the other M. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Perfect. What? So why butt, butt kicking Samus? Why before the other yes. M? That's I never played the other M, I, so I don't. I, I just didn't like the, I mean, what I liked about Samus was this sort of like lone wolf, ice cold killer that's in this crazy place with like gobs and goo and Metroids and things that are just like sticking to her suit and she blasts them and doesn't care. You know, it was the sort of thing that uh, being a big sci-fi fan, I could, I, I would always imagine myself trying to go to these places and and be a bounty hunter like she was and i don't think i could do it uh as every other you know well not every other but like something like link or or something like that it's kind of a world you want to visit this is a world you don't want to visit and, and you, <laughs> yeah got, i've never wanted to go to any of those metroid worlds for sure right <laughs> various suit no various suit no <laughs> right so flipping that coin, who is your favorite video game antagonist? Antagonist? I would have to say Eggplant Wizard. Because <laughs> he turns you into an eggplant. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. That's great. That's an excellent answer. I'll take it. Eggplant <laughs> Wizard. Uh, nobody's ever said that before. That, that's perfect. Uh, third question. Uh, let's, uh, what, what's your least favorite mechanic or, or like theme in games that you'd like to see go away? Uh, in games that I'd like to see go away? Um, yeah, not, not just games, but like, you know, like the, what's the thing about games that just kind of irks you the most? Uh, I think I would like to see games uh, less divided. I, I you know, um, I'd like to see less microtransactions in the future, even though I know I'm going to have to resort to them to stay in business. It's the unfortunate, you know, side effect of the way that the sort of industry works right now. But I'd like to see less microtransactions. Okay. Yes. Uh, absolutely agree. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm full on that. Uh, yeah. Especially given like the 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 glut that we've seen with even the new consoles, where like uh-huh. everything on the Xbox One, it you know, it, it's all full sixty dollar games, and then suddenly they've got you know, pay your way for XP or all the cars in Forza and all that, all that other BS. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to see that stuff just go away. <laughs> but yeah, it, it definitely sounds like it's the, uh, you know, it's kind of where stuff's headed. So, you know, just make sure you fold your soul into a little box beforehand. Tell it it's okay that, you know, pet it, make it seem nice. Right. Uh, next question. What is the craziest ship configuration that you've seen be successful in ring runner uh the craziest ship configuration i mean wild somebody ones, built but... it and you were just like that is not gonna oh my god he's doing it i i, I liked the uh, um there was this um minecraft build not minecraft like the game minecraft but a craft that mines things and uh basically what it, they would do is they would drop this like cloud of mines then create a little gravity well to, to cluster them all there and then they'd hit a guy with gemini beacons fly into their towards their own minds with their momentum and then distel a place which swaps places so the guy would like drift into the little package of of mines and and blow almost anyone up that way it's a really <laughs> interesting combination indeed that's great <laughs> has they now that your game's kind of your your game's kind of been out there and, and people have had a chance to play with it, are they are they coming up with stuff that you never even envisioned? 
Well, we had we had the game for like five years, so we've envisioned a lot of things, but there are definitely <laughs> combinations that we had not seen, and there's uh you know you can share them now on on Steam Workshop, so it's it's pretty cool. We're getting to see some very interesting builds. That's awesome. All right, next question: If you could attempt any other profession, what would you like to try? No, no hangups, no restrictions. What what would you like to give a shot to? I, I would say I'd like to be an astronaut, <laughs> as uh, cheesy as that sounds. If only we had ships that are more like the Enterprise and less like tin cans. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> I would be an astronaut then, too. That'd be fantastic, because it's like a whole city up there. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> like a lovely and a holodeck. Group. Oh, my God. My <laughs> life for a holodeck and like a, one of those food matter creator things replicators yeah done perfect <laughs> for sure uh you know fr- chicken wings replicate <laughs> uh and finally our last question um at the end of our lives when we come to the gates of the mushroom kingdom and uh toad looks over the book of our deeds uh what would you like him to say to you oh wow um let's see uh Leaping Linguini, you've made a lot of games. <laughs> That's all. You were the first person to make Toad Italian. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, I, I think the, the I've watched a lot of uh, Super Mario Bros. Super Show, and I think that the bombers <laughs> would eventually rub off on. Captain Lou Albano is his taught. He taught a, a a correspondence course for all the Toads on how to talk English. Exactly. That's fantastic. I I I want to live in that world. <laughs> not just visit not just visit i want to live in that world where where captain lou albano is the uh that is the pinnacle of the english-speaking community <laughs> it would be awesome but, oh. all right well congratulations you passed that was yes. the end game thank god <laughs> you know everyone's always relieved when we get done with it they're always thankful that they passed it's it's amazing uh <laughs> well uh Thank you uh, so much for joining. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Enrique. Uh, really glad to have you on and talk about uh, Ring Runner, and really excited to hopefully talk to you in you know the coming months about your next game. Uh, look forward to that. If you could oh, yeah, just, I'd love, hmm? I'd love to. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, uh, and if you could just tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about Ring Runner. So you can go to ringrunner.net. Or you can just look us up on Steam, because uh, we're on there. It's not hard to find. Just type Ring Runner into the search bar. All You're right. the only one, surprisingly. <laughs> I'm the only Ring Runner on the Steam. Only Ring Runner. <laughs> the only Ring Runner. There is actually <laughs> another game that was called Ring Runner at one point, we found out. Uh, but it was like a mobile game or something like that about literally rings on, on like a track. Huh. <laughs> Sounds like Sonic. But, uh, yeah, I was gonna say it, it sounds like if if I was gonna make a, a game called Ring Runner, it would be a a rip off of of Sonic. So, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm glad you got to it before I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just once again, thank you for for joining us. And also, just randomly, I, I just searched Ring Runner. Uh, you're also on GOG, which is yep. an amazing website. And yeah, that's there too. Get a DRM free. And we also have a widget on our site if you want to buy it from the Humble store. Oh, very cool. 
Yes. So it's everywhere, basically. Just search Ring Runner and you will find it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you for, for joining us today. I uh, hope you have a great holiday um, season coming up and uh, Happy New Year. Well, thanks a lot. It's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. Take care, guys.